The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Okay. <clears throat> Good morning, OPCC. Uh, as Jimmy said, I am Shay Haddock. I'm an associate pastor here on staff and happy to be so. Um, my lovely wife, Molly, works downstairs in the kids' ministry, and uh, we have four of our own. So uh, between Jimmy and I, we uh, got nine kids together. So uh, anyway, we love the kids. Well, well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Garrett, you want to finish it out, bro? <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I'm so excited about uh, just hearing Garrett, man, like uh, and, and to add some, some encouragement and throw some logs on the fire, um, I, I remember coming to, to the faith, like, and I, would, I had gotten stirred early as a kid, uh, but absolutely ran uh, with reckless abandon as far away from God as I possibly could. Um, and I remember there was a guy named Jeremiah Dennis, and he was, uh, he was with uh, student mobilization. I, had, I didn't know. I didn't even know that was a thing uh, in colleges. I wasn't a believer. I didn't uh, care anything about what the Christians had going on. I, all I cared about was what Shay had going on. Um, and so anyway, I, this Jeremiah guy, man, he just like, the Lord used this guy and he just popped up everywhere uh, on campus, man. I'd bump into him at the commons. Uh, I'd see him in the lunch line. Uh, I, I, would, I would be, I had a little scooter. I had a little 50cc scooter, you know, you know, and I'd ride around campus and, and I'd see him and he'd wave back, hey bro. I'm like, boy, this guy's everywhere. And, and uh, I, I signed up for uh, intramural soccer. Uh, I played football at the University of Arkansas, but man, my love for soccer you could not keep me off the soccer field, so I, I joined intramurals, and uh, so I signed up for a random team, didn't know who it was going to be, or you know, didn't know the guys or anything, and lo and behold, Jeremiah Dennis is on the soccer team, and I'm like, what? Like, this guy, and he was, he was not, he was a super nice guy, and it was funny because he had never really talked to me about Jesus in, in this probably dozen encounters I had with this guy, but I knew he was a Christian. I don't know how I knew that. I just... I don't know if it was the Lord working in my own life or what, but I knew without question that this guy uh, was an ambassador for the Lord, and I, there, there was probably part of me that did believe that God sent this guy to uh, sow some seeds of faith in my life, but I was very resistant. Nonetheless, he invites me to uh, Chick-fil-A. He's, he, <clears throat> yeah, he's feeling about like I am, like, gee, this Shays guy is kind of everywhere, right? He's probably feeling the same thing, but he had the spirit of the Lord in him to realize that God was working on me and was using him to reach me. And so anyway, um, I was heavily involved in drugs and alcohol at the time, and, um, but I was receptive to meeting with him, you know, and I, he shared the gospel with me. That Chick-fil-A right there at the corner of MLK and Razorback Drive, I'll never forget it. Um, and he paid for my lunch, and I appreciated that because I was broke, and um, and I was high as a kite, you know, when I went to the, to the meeting. But, man, I remember every word that he said. I remember every word that he said about the gospel and who Jesus was. And I remember him encouraging me, you know, hey, man, um, I just know for sure that God is on your life, is what he told me. He said, I don't know, 
uh, you know, to, he asked me if I wanted to receive Christ that day. I said, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm baked as a cookie right now. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but hey, man, thanks for sharing, you know, um, whatever. But I, I mean, deep in my heart, like I knew, man, like God is really up to something. And so anyway, I'm forever grateful for Jeremiah and the work that Stumo does. And I remember, <clears throat> some of you know my story, uh, about eight months later, I met a gentleman named Patrick when I was working at the gym, and I ended up accepting Christ in church that Sunday morning that uh, I told Patrick I was going to join him with because I knew that God was after my life. So anyway, I received Jesus Christ in the church um, there in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the first person I wanted to call uh, other than my grandmother was Jeremiah Dennis. I wanted to tell him that I got saved, and where was he? I couldn't get a hold of him. He was in India. And so anyway, I don't know what city he was in or whatever, but I, fe- I remember Facebook messaging him going, bro, somebody on campus told me that you're in India and that's amazing. I hope God's, you know, doing his work in you. I just want to let you know, man, that I am saved, all caps, exclamation point. Thank you for being faithful and sowing the seed of the gospel in my life, man. And so amen to that. Um, and so you know, I want to encourage you with that, man. The work that Stumo does is amazing. So on that topic, it's unbelievably fitting. We're talking about evangelism, sharing our faith, getting outside of the walls of comfort. And so uh, I want to go through the who, where, why, when, and most importantly, the how to evangelism. And so um, the first is the who. Who is evangelism for? Who is asked to evangelize? Um, what is the calling of the Lord? The answer is everyone, okay? We read in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, and he, Jesus said, this is a familiar passage, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Mark 16. I think strongly like that, and and I think Pastor Greg Laurie says it this way. Some of you guys know who he is. But he says that the Great Commission, which is what we just read, has become the great omission in the church. And I, I really think that is true. Uh, I, I think that there, there's nobody that can escape, none of us who are in Christ, a part of the church, the body of believers, that can escape the great commission. We can't do it. God didn't make excuses based on personality traits like, oh, you know, and that Jimmy guy, man, he's really good with people. You know, he's got a real outgoing personality, man. It makes sense that, you know, that he can tell people about Jesus. That, that is the enemy's voice, not the Lord's. You know, everybody, everyone. So you ask us, who? Who's called to evangelize? Everybody. Now, don't get me wrong. There are get, there's the gift of evangelism, right? We know that there are gifts as laid out in Scripture, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, uh, we learn about that in discipleship group, and we go into deeper into that. I don't have time to do that today. So I acknowledge that there is a gift, 
of evangelism that God can anoint specifically men and women for a special calling in that area. Certainly my friend Greg Laurie is one of those. Jimmy is one of those, has a gifting, a natural ability to share their faith. But everyone who proclaims Jesus Christ as Savior is called to evangelism or to share the gospel. It's called to make disciples, okay? So here's what I want to be a little provocative with. This is, this is tricky. This is challenging for some people. Let's look at James 4.17. James 4.17. It says, Now therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I want to provoke a little bit to say, I'm not, I'm not saying you're in sin, but you might be. You very well could be. If God has called you to make disciples, if God has called you to preach the gospel, if God has called you to share your, to share your faith, which we know he has, and you are avoiding it out of fear, out of lack of confidence, whatever it may, any excuse that you could lay out, you might very well be walking in sin. So uh, I want to preface everything we're going to go through today with that in mind right there. Why do I need to listen to what Shay is saying? Why do I need to tune into this message? That's why. Because just because you are saved by the blood of Jesus does not mean that you might not be walking in sin by neglecting to share your faith. Fear comes from the enemy. So let's, let's move on here. Where? Where are we supposed to share the gospel? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Yet another familiar passage. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So where are we supposed to preach it? Into all the nations. Now, our friend Garrett is uh, being sent to the continent of the nation of... Okay, is India a continent? It's a country. What? Co- it's Asia. Jeez, man. I, I said that earlier, and I'm like, I think I prayed that. I'm like, thanks for the continent of India. I'm like, that's not a continent. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I need to go back to school. Um, that Arkansas education was cheap. <clears throat> um, but anyway, so where are we supposed to go? Everywhere. Into all the world, right? Now, although God has sent our friend Garrett into the country of India, where is he sending you? You might be saying, well, Shay, I don't feel called, man, to go to China or Bangladesh or India. Let me give you a hint. Go into all of your world and not the world. Go into your world. You have a world. You have a family around you. You have friends. You have neighbors. You have coworkers. You have children. You have elderly. You have people around you. You have a world. That's the world that the Lord wants you to go into. So where are you to go? Everywhere in the world that exists in front of you. Okay? That's easy for all of us to understand. We all know what world it is that we live in. Why? Why are we supposed to share the gospel? Well, Romans 10, 14 through 17. Let me find it. Romans 10. 14 through 17 tells us this. How then shall they, speaking of the lost, call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? 
How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So why, you might ask, why do I need to do this? Because I think 1 Corinthians 121 also highlights this. 1 Corinthians 121 says, For since, listen to this, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, but it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So why do we preach? Because in God's wisdom, he said that this is how it's to be done. Through the foolishness of preaching, which what I'm doing right now, through the foolishness of preaching, God said that that's how men and women were to be saved. It says, who else can, uh, well, what does it say? Well, I was back here. Hang on. Um, how shall they hear without a preacher, right? And how will a guy preach unless he's sent? There's always a precedent, right? And so uh, that, is, that is the why. Uh, but I want to kind of summarize the why is not only because God said so, but because that's God's primary way of, of, of using us. That's, that's one of the main uh, mechanisms Preaching the word of God or the preached message or sharing the gospel, they're all the same thing, um, is, uh, is the primary way that God um, can confirm in us, the person delivering the message, that indeed that he's real, that he's alive, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, I hear a lot of people talking about this like lifestyle evangelism, you know? It's like, I'm going to I'm going to evangelize through my lifestyle. You know, like I'll, I'll live a, an honorable life, a Christian life. I'll go to church. I'll, you know, I'll tithe. I'll be faithful to my wife, et cetera, et cetera. And amen to all of that. Like praise the Lord for an honorable, um, upright lifestyle before the Lord. But what, faith is, comes from hearing. Like unless you are legitimately like God designed, unable to speak, you are called to use words to share the gospel. Like, it ju you just are. How else is a person going to hear or know what the gospel is without you explaining it to them? There's studies that say 95% of Christians can have never led somebody to Christ. I don't know if that number is accurate or not, but even if it's off by 20%, that's pathetic, right? If 75% of Christians, if 35% of Christians have never led anybody to Christ. That's a problem. The reason is, is because they have fear. They are scared to reach out and share the message of hope. And the message of hope, man, if you are saved, if you believed in Jesus, that you believe his blood paid for your sin, he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, and that he is in heaven and you will be there too because he paid for your sin, that's your story, and like all, all sharing the gospel is for you in your life in that place in your faith is to just regurgitate your own story. That is an opportunity to share your faith. So when? When are we to share it? 
all the time. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Quite simply, preach the word all the time, in season and out of season. I'll tell you, sometimes, uh, you know, you can feel the move of the Lord from time to time. Where like, there's times where you just feel like, like, like you're you're very consciously aware of the filling of the Spirit, and you're like in the moment, and God's bringing a word, and He's allowing you to engage in a very uh, spiritually moving experience with somebody. And there's other times where you're just like not flat, like you're not spiritually dead, like the Spirit of the Lord is in you, but you're just like carrying on, right? Um, you're, you would, by definition of this passage, be a little out of season, right? Like you're not expecting to uh, be of ministry or be of use. Um, and I think that that is uh, just a flaw, like in our sin nature. Like God says to be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to share the gospel both when you're in church and at work. Be ready to share the gospel when you're in your home or in someone else's home, you know? Be ready to share the gospel when you're at the gym or on a fishing boat. Like, you need to be ready, willing, and available to share your faith because the truth is, and this is the crux of it, and I wonder sometimes if people actually believe this, and Garrett said it earlier in his, in his time, that the, the main motivation is that if we believe in the Bible, if we believe in the Word of God, then we believe that those who do not follow Jesus Christ are going to die in hell forever. That's why. And I wonder for people, Christians, 15, 20, 25-year Christians, I thank God that they're actually saved, but I wonder myself if they're actually saved. It doesn't matter what I think, only what matters what God thinks, but I wonder, if are you actually saved, or do you actually believe the Bible? The, my, the, my Bible says that those who do not follow or know Jesus Christ, those whose sins have not been paid for by the blood of Jesus, are subject to judgment, eternal separation from God forever. That is a scary thing. And it's like, man, like I am here to, to, to pump you up a little bit. And I know Garrett's cheering me on because that's true. That's what motivates him. Why would he want to go to India? It stinks over there. They worship rats. And their people are starving because they worship rats and cows, right? They have diseases, but they worship rats so they won't kill them. Their people are starving to death, but they won't butcher a cow to feed them. It's, it's confusing, and it's upside down. It's a lost country, right? They're dying. They're dead. They're spiritually dead. And that's why Garrett is motivated to go. That's the only way, because any other motivation doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. So now the how. You say, Shay, thanks, man. Thanks for firing me up. I appreciate it, but I have no idea how to do it. Let's read John chapter 4. It's a familiar story, and I'm going to give you some takeaways after, and I'll let you out of here. I'm going to read this story, though, and I want you to pay attention to how Jesus pursues the woman at the well. This is the story, okay? Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not actually baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. 
but he needed to go through Samaria. So he, take note, he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus had no business going through Samaria, but it says he needed to go. Um, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This woman is once again confirming Jesus really didn't have any business going to Samaria, much less being at this well in the middle of the day. Much like Garrett really has no business being in Bangalore, India, other than divine motivation, right? Jesus' motivation here is divine. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and all of his livestock? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water, speaking of the water the woman was ladling out, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. Come here and draw. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you've well said, I have no husband, for you have had five. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. And in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am. I who, or I'm sorry, I who speak to you am he. And so I don't have time to, to exegete that passage or to break it down or, or even to teach through it, but I wanted to read it and, and, and give us some examples on, on how to evangelize. Like we know, we just went through that we know that we're called to do it. We know that we must do it. We know that we must do it to everyone within our world and beyond if God calls us to that. And so here's the how. Number one, this is in your bulletin. Our objective is to build a bridge, not burn one. I have heard so many times, man, people like, like bull rushing, sharing their faith, and they're arguing over uh, spiritual things that they really have no business arguing about. And Patrick, the guy that led me to the Lord, told me this one thing. This is one of the greatest pieces of advice he ever gave me. He said, you'll never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. Ever. 
And I can tell you right now, one thing you ought to not do is like lead with politics or lead in with something that is already controversial and a bit worldly. I'm not saying that politics can't be discussed. I'm just saying that there are more important matters than who the president is or what voting on this or that. If you're speaking of this person that God's put right in front of you, the question is, are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? Do they know Jesus or not? Have they ever heard the gospel or not? Does this, does God, has God put me in this person's life to explain to them the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? Those are what you need to ask yourself. Not, is this person a conservative you know, or a liberal, or did they vote or not? Like, in, that, in that instance, that is such a, 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 a secondary matter to the salvation of their soul, okay? Number two, sharing starts with caring. And I hinted at this earlier. Ask yourself, do you care about lost people? Number one, I challenged you earlier, is do you actually believe the Bible and the fact that people that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord are going to hell? That's hurdle number one for you if you need to get over that. But number two is, um, do you care about the, law, the people that are lost? And I will tell you, one of the greatest motivations for you to care about lost people is your own story. Realizing that you were once lost and you have now been found in Christ. Like, that confirmation of the salvation in your own life is amazing motivation to go and save someone else. Not under your own power. Only the Lord can save. But he can use you as a vessel for salvation in someone else's life. Number three, we must cast out all social, political, and economic barriers. Jesus modeled this perfectly in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. This, this woman would, would have been the equivalent of a conservative going to visit uh, the liberal neighborhood. It would have been the equivalent of, a, of a, a white male going into a black neighborhood. It would have been the equivalent of whatever social or economic barrier you want to, to, to draw up. Jesus did not care. He said, I need to go. I need to go. And so um, listen to the Lord uh, another example is Jonah struggled with this. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Some of you know the story, and I won't teach through it, but Jonah knew that the folks at Nineveh were wicked. He said, those are the sinners, Lord. Those are the wicked people. Those are the perishing ones. And God's like, yeah, bro, that's where I want you to go. And he's like, no, that's not happening. So he gets on a boat the opposite direction. We know the story, right? The, the, the guys that were on the boat were like, man, this, like, something's wrong with you. We got to get, get this guy off the boat, right? So they throw him overboard. The fish swallows him. And God supernaturally held Jonah in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, and barfs him up on the shore of Nineveh and said, bro, I told you, Nineveh, that's where you need to be, right? And the Lord will do that to you in your life. So if you find yourself in the belly of the whale right now, if you find yourself wondering, how did I get here in your life? You, I, I suggest you might ask the Lord, am I rebelling, God? Am I doing something that you have not asked me to do? Am I running away from your calling on my life? I think that's a fair question to ask. We number four, we must use tact. I love this word, tact. Isaac Newton described tact as this, the ability to make a point without making an enemy. 
And I just love that, man. I, 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 wish, I, that, I wish that was in Scripture. Uh, but anyway, I just love that quote. Like, it's the ability to make a point um, without making an enemy. And wow, is that hard to do? That's why it's called tact, being tactful, right? Um, but it's true. It's like something we use um, to educate uh, people and, and, and encourage them as they're ministering to people is balancing grace and truth, right? And that's what being tactful is, exercising tact, balancing grace and truth, right? Being abundant in grace is encountering a sinner, a lost person, having a heart for them in their sin and not judging them, right? Having grace upon them. That's having abundant grace, but also not compromising the truth. You've got to let them know that their sin is what separates them from God. Otherwise, they have no idea why they need a Savior. So you have to balance grace and truth, and that requires tact. Number five, we must be able to adapt. Jesus modeled this perfectly. The rich young ruler, the woman at the well, the possessed man in chains. You know, you guys know that story where Jesus floated across the sea and, and the, the man that was in chains, the demon-possessed guy, said, what are you to do with me, son of God, you know? Uh, and he was acting a little crazy. Well, Jesus cast the demon right on out of him, pushed him into the pigs. The pigs ran into the sea, and he told that man to go into the city and tell everybody that I just saved your life. The difference is, like, Jesus had the ability to adapt, even with Zacchaeus, right? I mean, all these stories. I, I look in the Scripture, and what I see is, a, is an, an adaptable Jesus, never compromising truth, but always aware of the person that he's encountering in their, in their situation. Prime, most people find the Lord in times of challenge, right? And so if you're talking to... Um, if the Lord has you in front of a uh, person who's struggling with perhaps a drug and alcohol addiction, will be a very different approach than maybe a man or a woman who's going through a challenging divorce with kids. A very different scenario. Still sins, they're still um, feeling the burdens of sin on their life, but how you might approach each situation is very different. The truth is never compromised, but just have an awareness and a sensitivity of the Spirit of the Lord in you to know how to adapt and minister to both. You, that's, why the, that's why the dude with the microphone on the corner saying, you're all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. You're all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. That's not adaptable. That is not adaptable, man. I mean, that is just like, you know, uh, hammering, dude. Like, that's not, that is not of the Lord. That is not what God calls us to do, Okay. Number six is we are to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And what is the end? Like, what is the goal? Otherwise, you could say begin with the goal in mind. Begin with the end in mind. When you approach a relationship that you believe might be um, a movement of the Lord, which, I, like, hear me clearly, I firmly believe that God is... Um, God doesn't make any mistakes. Like, nothing is by accident. Everything in your life is by design. So I challenge you to ask yourself with literally every person in your life, God, why is this person in my life? What do you want me to do with this person? Even if it's an acquaintance. I mean, I, I, I just heard of a story in the lobby where uh, Bethany Jackson invites a lovely couple into our church. She met them at the hen house. It's amazing. Like, I met, I met Landon 
and Alicia shed hunting for deer antlers in the Johnson County Park by my house. I mean, don't think that it's got to be your twin brother, you know, or, or the, your boss, you know. Man, it could be anybody. And so ask the Lord, like, what, why is this person in my life? And begin with the end in mind. What is the end? The end goal is that you, at some point in the relationship, can confidently say that is a brother in Christ or that is a sister in Christ. If you don't know, yeah, spiritual family, man, like that's, that's the goal, is expanding your family. It's your goal, the goal of the relationship is not to imp, uh, impact your business network. God will take care of that. It, the goal is to make sure that you can uh, know for sure that you are a servant, a table servant of the gospel, and that at the end of the day, you know, man, like I'm looking at Mike Vaughn, I'm going, man, that guy knows the gospel, and that is my brother in Christ, and if God calls him to Alaska and work on a fishing boat, amen. I'm not worried about him, I'll see him in heaven. But I have other people in my life that I have tremendous concern for, and I have to challenge myself even and go, Shay, I know you've been friends with this guy for four and a half years, but have you broke down the gospel for him? Whether he accepts it or not, it's totally out of my control. And I'm not gonna do it forcefully, I'm gonna do it with the Lord's leading, but at the end of the day, I need to be honest with myself and with God Am I doing what you've asked me to do in that relationship? And so here's the big idea. If none of this makes any sense to you at all, know this. You can just simply use your story to lead them to his story. That is evangelism 101. What did God do in your life? And how might that bless them? And just trust in the Lord. And his story is simply this. I I would be missing if I didn't just clearly share the gospel It's so simple. He said, Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, as God's only son, came to the earth to be born as a man, exactly as we were, tempted in every way. We read in that story with the woman at the well that he actually met her at the well originally because he was thirsty. He experienced life exactly like we did, yet did not sin. And he was obedient and faithful to the Father's calling on his life to go to the cross of Calvary and say, I will pay for your sin, Shay. I will pay for your sin, Jimmy. I'll pay for your sin, Abby. I'll pay for your sin, whoever it is in the room. And all of the world, every ounce of sin that you see in the world, Jesus paid for. He was the recipient of the judgment that we all deserved. And it was his blood that paid for that. And by the, the glory of God, he arose on the third day exactly as prophesied in Scripture. And, and, and so that it is, it is a symbol that we too might live with him forever in paradise. He defeated the grave. Sin produces death, but when his blood covers our sin, we do not have to fear death anymore. That's the gospel. And it's, it's not like, it's not rocket science, it's not anything, it's just faith. And we read, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.